Welcome to our Agile Tales, where we share the various successes and trials we've encountered as we navigate corporate levels and political waters to transform the business to be adaptable to this forever changing world. Today, we have a special guest with us, Joe Justice. Joe works globally as an interim executive for Agile organizations, bringing multinational companies twice the work in half the time. He's a TEDx speaker and a guest lecturer at both MIT and Oxford University in England. In 2006, he applied Agile to automotive manufacturing, founded Team Wikispeed, and set four world records. Joe joined Tesla in 2020, where he operated Agile at Tesla from the company headquarters. Let's welcome Joe as we bring him on to explore Agile at Tesla. Hi, Joe. Thank you for being in another episode of our Agile Tales, where we're going to explore Agile at Tesla. Shall we dive right in? Oh, please, 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 please. Thank you, Munway. Thank you, Jeff. It is my honor and privilege to collaborate with you again. Thank you so much. This time, I want to talk about management. Now, you told us in early episode that Tesla has managing teams, so there's no need for traditional leadership. However, I want to talk about executive management. We all heard that Elon Musk sleeps in the office and works on the manufacturing shop floor. Well, how about other executives? What do they do all day? Are they all on the manufacturing shop's floor too? And how do they do other managerial stuff? And of course, that includes Elon Musk. For example, setting vision, mission strategies, going after business development opportunities, looking after financial and employee well-being, etc. Genius, genius, Munway, genius. First, to make it even a little more clear, Elon doesn't so much sleep in an office as sleep on the factory floor. Sometimes it's just out in the open factory area, but there's also rooms that are slightly quieter. They're multi-purpose rooms. Often if you need to do an in-place Kaizen or for teams to collaborate or hit on laptops, that's where Elon keeps his sleeping bag. So I wouldn't even call it an office. It's a multi-purpose room that's in the factory floor. For those of you that have been on factory tours, particularly in Tesla Fremont, where they used to have factory tours before COVID, there's slightly more insulated rooms for sound in the factory floor. And it's one of those. So it's not even as removed as an office. (laughs) So that's pretty awesome. The level of visibility and awareness of the production operations is hard to miss when that's your bed right? So that's pretty cool. But I love you getting exactly to the point of it. How does a company that is so unprecedentedly financially successful function as executives? I mean, if you add up every other car company in the world, it's worth the same as Tesla or less, depending on the day in terms of market cap. We often forget that, how radically successful and completely unusual that company is. And that's one of the five Musk companies. Musk now employs 110,000 employees. By the way, Bosch, a supplier for Daimler primarily, and some for Tesla, has 390,000 employees. So it's also how efficient Tesla is. They have about one quarter of the number of employees of one of the suppliers to Daimler, not even Daimler. And they're worth what, 6X, 10X more than Daimler today? Like, so yes, 
How do you have this radically successful financially company that's sold out until next year right now? And they're ramping production is faster than any company ever has in manufacturing history. And they still can't meet demand. That's how absurd this is. And how do they function as executives? Well, I'd like to try to share absolutely the best I understand of it. What these people seem to do, I was running Agile at Tesla, which is kind of a cross-cutting role. So I got to see a lot, but it's not the same as I was an executive. But I did work with these people. From my understanding, they worked the line just like Elon does, and they automate traditional management responsibilities, not even delegate. They would delegate to machine learning teams. I want to put a bow around a point we got to discuss last podcast. And for those of you who haven't listened to the previous one, please do after this. I think you'll enjoy it as it covers some topics that build up to this. I talked about how teams can self-manage if they have a fast feedback loop. And Tesla does that by having machine learning algorithms that push to your phone as your feedback loop. So you can see, is your team financially efficient? Is it reducing defects found in field by customer or top level business objectives? You self-manage to those. You don't need a boss saying, do this. Elon never has to walk up to you and say, we need to increase battery density. You just can see that on your phone. So if you have an idea of how to increase battery density, you self-organize a team and you launch that yourself. In fact, you're held accountable if you don't. So, I mean, it's a very empowered open space company. The executive functions, whatever it was that seemed to be a key executive decision before, the attempt seems to be how can we automate gathering whatever facts we would use to try to make that decision with evidence. Sometimes there aren't many, but whatever there are, how can we automate gathering those facts and I mean, 100% automated. They use the autopilot hardware and software. So it visually scans the factory looking for X, looking for Y, and then machine learning tags and reports it up. Then what decision would I make based on that? Well, let's train a gradient descent algorithm. If it made a good decision, have the executive team tag it as I think that was a good decision. If it made a really bad decision, have the executives tag it as it made a really bad decision. After a certain amount of time, it's making surprisingly good decisions that the executives hadn't come up with because the data quality is pretty good and pretty clean. I think a lot of people underappreciate Tesla as an AI company. For those of you who may have watched AI Day, which is now on YouTube, Artificial Intelligence Day, maybe you have a deeper appreciation of how full stack and absolutely world leading Tesla is an AI. And that allows many of the executive, what we'd normally think of as executive functions to be outsourced to AI. So when I meet with executives or when I was operating Agile Tesla, there's monitors and monitors and monitors, and they're all on your phone, but it's nice to have a lot of monitors so you can see it all at once. That's the machine learning recommendations and the machine learning data. So you can very quickly tag a bad recommendation or tag a good recommendation to continue training the algorithm. And you can very quickly respond to bad data. And then you can very quickly self-organize around good suggestions. The point I really wanted to say about this, that 
bridges our past podcast is during AI day, Elon Musk straight up lied in a very exciting way. Sandy Monroe, who is now becoming famous for giving brutally honest Tesla reviews and now being gobsmacked by how far advanced Tesla is, called Elon Musk out on it. That's why I can talk about it as someone else called Elon out on it. Sandy Monroe, who's now famous in Sandy's own right, said, Elon says you developed a special alloy so you could have rapid injection molding of these cars in metallics, which no one has ever done at this scale. It's completely world-changing. Elon says it's a new alloy. No, it's not. And then Sandy names the alloy. Sandy's an automotive metallurgy and automotive manufacturing expert and says, no, it's not. You lied. Then the CEO of Waymo, Google self-driving says, I called Elon just before autopilot came out like two weeks before and said, what do you think about self-driving cars? Do you think it's reasonable? And Elon said, no, it's way too hard. You should never try it. Two weeks later, autopilot one comes out and the Waymo exec's furious. (laughs) He redirects us. Well, Elon just did the same again at AI day. Many people ask, what's the level of artificial intelligence in the factory? And Elon's like, we try to avoid it. If you need to use AI in the factory, you're probably thinking about it wrong. (laughs) Not even close. If you think autopilot V10 is interesting, (laughs) wait till you see how the factory runs. Wait till you see how the executive process runs, the financial services. There's a service called AutoBidder that dynamically does insurance quotes for Tesla insurance. It's AI for insurance. It's upended insurance. It's also used for energy exchanges for selling utilities back to the grid. What do you think Tesla's supply chain is built on? Do you think they actually have a call center office of a bunch of supply chain people? No, it's an app that anyone in the factory can use anytime to order what you need. It's all about speed. All these methods are deployed for speed. So what does that leave for an executive? Well, you have legally required posts that need to be occupied, like plant manager and health and safety officer. So yeah, you have those titles. You can even rotate who plays those titles, which is actually an innovation I presented from Agility, and that's being used. Someone is in the post at any given time for accountability reasons, and they need to be trained. So they watch the YouTube apps on their phone, the video apps on their phone to be trained as a health and safety officer, and they take the position for whatever amount of time. That's fully dynamic. That's fully agile. And then you have inspirational people. That matters. That's still super important. And that's a role Elon occupies as well. But a lot of other people do. Where do you want those inspirational people? Out on a yacht somewhere? In the private jet meeting with someone else? In their quadrillion dollar mansion? No. You want them at the point the work is being done for maximum impact. So what do those people do? They work the line. They self-organized with everybody else around the machine learning goals for Kaizen, for continuous improvement of the work. Part of what makes that work financially is, Munwei, what you asked me about before, and JF, you had some useful follow-up questions, and that's the remuneration, the payment strategy. People are paid basically the same. Elon Musk draws no salary. It's all about stock, and everyone has the same awesome stock strike package. Everybody from the newest hire in the most junior position to the most senior hire in the most senior position, you have this phenomenal strike price 
and everyone has equal access. So when the stock price goes up, it's not like there's this upper echelon or caste that all cheers and celebrates, but they try to hide it from the worker class and they're guilty about it. And there's bad feelings. There's none of that. Everybody celebrates because everybody just went up the same percent, whatever percent they could buy in. So you have this universal celebration and good feeling that creates this positivity that makes it work, which is something many of us agilists have become accustomed to in more and more flat organizations. Wow, that is quite something. I need to wrap my head around AI management. Okay. I'm just curious. I think I know the answer, but I just want to double check the legal stuff. For example, you said that the executives would do, and of course, where do they do that? Where the work happens. So I assume you will also need actual lawyers for some of the oh, yeah. legal stuff. So does the lawyers also work on the manufacturing floor too? There's these observation booths that everyone uses. If you've been on a Tesla tour, you've seen them before COVID when Tesla tours were open. They're on catwalks all over the factory. It's also where there's rooms for you to eat. There's public terminals for you to have high-speed internet and collaborate or, or do what you need to do if your phone isn't good enough or you don't want to sit on the floor with your laptop. Many times there would be communication flowing through something about legal and there would be indications that came from people that were on the catwalks like two meters from the robots. So I don't know if they actually glued parts like Elon does and drills metal, but yes, there were indications that at least some of those were from people who were sitting next to where somebody was eating their rice bowl or whatever we were enjoying, our poke. <laughs> wow, okay. You also mentioned about the reward and recognition, which we also talked about in the previous episode. So if you haven't listened to it, please go listen to it because it's really mind-blowing. You did a little recap there. So I have a follow-up question because in my past experience, most executives in senior management and board members tend to focus on short-term growth and also how quickly they can get a return on the investment. Obviously, as you told us, Tesla doesn't operate that way. So my question is, how does Elon Musk find the type of executives who will share the same point of view? And better yet, how does Tesla find board members who actually think the same way? There is an aggressive hunt for mindset match at every level of the company. And again, level is a little bit of a misnomer in a Musk company. But when you say board member, you have a, a special background in mind. One of the leaders from SoftBank, SoftBank Investment Fund out of Japan, a huge innovation funder was brought in as a board member of Tesla. They were not only vetted and recruited, but they themselves had an active exchange on Twitter, an active public exchange about what was important for them in terms of their investment goals. That created a vetting not only of their willingness to be transparent, but of what they would say are their primary motivations and goals. All agree, that's absolutely non-standard. The Musk companies, all of them, are playing an infinite length of time game. Interestingly, it makes a huge amount of money a short-term investor for the reasons we talked about last podcast would miss those opportunities. In fact, they continue to do so even now, even with the examples of the Musk companies. A tremendously underappreciated set of tech is Neuralink and the Boring Company, 
neither of which is currently publicly traded. Neither of them are on any short-term investors buy-in list, and they should be on every investor's dream list. If you take up the total value of laptop and smartphone sales, service, and production, all of it. So HP's laptop division, Huawei's operations, Apple, all together. How competitive would those be if, if Neuralink is successful? Zero. Their value goes to zero if Neuralink is successful. What's the total market cap of all of those companies? It's ridiculous. And that's what Tesla is doing now because they're not only automotive, they're also energy infrastructure. I don't think most people understand the robotics play for Tesla, but that is essentially a play at labor, all of labor. And what is the market cap of labor globally? I don't remember if we covered this one before, but Musk is jumping after currency, changing what currency is. Dogecoin is one of the players of it, not the only one. It's the front runner, and there's some good reasons why, actually. If Musk is successful at currency, I was really surprised when about 30 days ago, Musk tipped Musk's hand at a play at government. Now, Musk can't be president of the United States, although Musk's grandfather was American from Wisconsin, if I remember correctly, and his grandmother was Canadian. He was born in South Africa. So he, under current law, cannot become president of the United States. Well, what about a United Federation of Planets? Musk made a joke two years ago. Would I be emperor or god emperor of Mars? He then replied to his own tweet saying, most people don't understand the humor of irony or something like that. It's not a joke. When the financial markets are so one-sided, which Musk may do, truly 80% of global domestic product may be from a Musk company in a very soon conceivable amount of time. The government structure no longer has the type of authority we would think it would. When labor is outsourced to Mars, as well as environmental protectionism, and SpaceX is your bus ticket back and forth, you either have a coup against Musk, a military, multinational military-led coup against Musk, which could happen and it could stop it, or within my lifetime, Musk is God Emperor of the United Federations of Planets. Luckily, Musk has shown through Musk management style to be incredibly benevolent. It's awesome to work in the Musk companies. And he's a fan of universal basic income because labor is basically being insourced and outsourced to Tesla robots, to Optimus Prime, Optimus Subprime, I think is the name. So that's a little more out there, but people listening to this podcast 20 years from now, 40 years from now, will be like, oh yeah, okay, now I see it looking backwards. So what's more useful looking now? Starlink may be publicly traded soon as part of SpaceX. That will be very interesting because that's a play on all internet and it's not currently set up this way or advertised this way, but all cell phone service. Imagine if data means Starlink. That may happen in relative short order. That's a much more near-term 
play. Musk is really polite about it. He leases it to other groups. He starts with the most underserved area first as the network grows capability. So it's not a direct affront, a direct attack. In fact, I don't think it ever will be. It just becomes such a superior product at a really good price and with high reliability that it wins on the open market. So as long as open market physics are at play, Starlink has a more than 50% chance at being the way we connect to the internet universally across the globe in less than 10 years, probably less than four. So that's a more near-term play. Wow, that's aggressive, actually. Let's bring it into even shorter term. <laughs> Just two quick additional questions about management, because you talk about test in the loop, because your tweet said automation in software and hardware and management with test in the loop is in fact the answer. Humans are for creative problem solving. Automation is for everything else. How do you do test in the loop for management? Genius, genius, Munwei. And you're very humble to ask it that way because I'm certain you could also present on the topic. JF, you too. But thank you for asking in such a humble way. But test in the loop for management, what I was trying to say here, just like you would probably teach too, is you have a rapid validation of the impact of your decision. For example, let's make a management decision of buying another 10 robots. Let's say it's a mix of Fanuc and KUKA robots, for example. And that's a management decision in most companies because they cost so much. That could be multi-million dollar buy, depending on what we're getting. So someone makes that buy. What's the test in the loop? Did line efficiency increase? And over what length of time do we get positive ROI on that decision? That is fully automatable decision that can roll up on your phone. In fact, since the line is well monitored by mostly cameras, mostly optical that then are parsed by machine learning, you have that data. It's a massive infrastructure rollout. It's really expensive actually to coat the factory with cameras, checkpoints, and the machine learning infrastructure to parse it and tag it. But if you've done that, it's now not that big a machine learning task. It's just a backlog item to say, also make sure one of the rollups that I can see right on the front of my phone and everyone's phone is what is the ROI payback of these robots? Purchasing is known by the algorithms. You don't even have to ask, oh, there was a purchase. Someone will probably want to know if there was a positive ROI on that purchase. So you have a feedback in the loop. I actually was involved in that in some equipment purchases in one of the facilities, one of the bottlenecks, one of the hot points where Musk is sleeping. Immediately in seconds, I could see on the ML, what was the impact of the decision that I had championed. Those two worked out. They were good. They did what we wanted. And you could see in seconds, I didn't have to trust my gut. Trusting our gut is what we do when we don't have test in the loop. That's okay. In some businesses, we don't have this infrastructure yet. But I love how agilists tend to be technology forward and tech savvy and can help construct these things. The science of TDD, test-driven development, helps make this approachable to management. This is great. So that is also what you mean by automate management, because you yeah. just have the really fast feedback loop that actually comes back to you. Now that said, we humans still need to make 
interesting decisions, but with a fast feedback loop, even new hires learn super quickly what are good decisions. So it's no longer this privileged cast thing. Now that said, with evidence, some people are not as awesome decision makers. That becomes visible. So those people self-manage and say, I'll actually ask other people. Because <laughs> I realized three out of my last 10 decisions were net negative. Seven out of 10 were okay, but there's a lot of people that are nine out of 10. So I'm gonna ask them. <laughs> And you learn super quickly. And it's easy to feel more confident then too, because you know your strengths. Indeed, indeed. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. We need to wrap this up. Let's see if we can get Joe to come back again and continue discussing. It would be my honor and privilege. That concludes our discussion on the management side of things for Agile at Tesla. Next time, we'll explore a different area of Agile Tesla. So stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening to our Agile Tales. Feel free to ping us on our agiletales.com. 